Okay, are we ready to go? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Hang on a second. Just not... Andy, have you got? Have we got any sound? Okay. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Peter and the other disciples had now been with Jesus for some time, following him wherever he went and listening to his every word. Jesus' time on this earth was almost at an end. He came from God and was soon to be on his way back to God. Jesus and the disciples were all sat around the table preparing for the Passover feast. As everyone sat there, Jesus stood up, took off his outer robe and put it to one side. In place of it... (laughs) He wrapped a towel around his waist and began filling up a bowl with water. Carrying the bowl over to where the disciples were sat eating and chatting, Jesus got onto his knees and began washing the disciples' feet. One at a time, he went around the table, washing the feet and drying them with the towel. Jesus then pushed the bowl of water over to where Peter was sat and knelt down at his feet. Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Peter asked. Peter, you don't realise what I'm doing, replied Jesus. But later, you'll get it. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Peter answered, admitting that Jesus would not go near his feet. But then Jesus spoke these words to Peter. Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter then suddenly changed his tune. Well then, don't just wash my feet, but my hands, my head as well. All of me. Peter. Jesus, once again. Anyway, anyone that has had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is already clean. Jesus then finished washing Peter's feet, put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. then stopped eating, their eyes fixed on Jesus, and listened as, they, as he spoke these words. Do you all understand what I've done for you? You all call me teacher and master, which is correct. So if I, the teacher and master, wash your feet, you all must now do to each other as I have done for you, and wash each other's feet. No servant is greater than his master. Jesus continued. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him with a message. If you understand what I've told you, then act on it, and you will be blessed. And they continued with the Passover meal, for very soon Jesus was to be betrayed and handed over to be crucified. Thank you. Okay. 20 minutes. Let's take a lot. Good morning. Morning. 
It's nice to be... Whoa, I've got this on as well, haven't I, and that. Um, it's nice to be back, and uh, for those of you who are going off to India, uh, we're living proof that you can go to a developing country and come back uh, safe and healthy and well. Uh, we had the most amazing time, did we not, Johnny? Did we not have the amazing time? Yeah, and we're still awake. Uh, <clears throat> I got a little bit confused this morning at uh, Quakers Road. I, I welcomed them all back and then realized that actually I was the one who'd been away. Uh, I put it down to the fact that uh, we only got back yesterday about uh, lunchtime, having uh, traveled uh, two sort of uh, five and a half or seven and a half hour flights and six delightful hours in Abu Dhabi airport during the early hours of the morning. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, the traffic on the M4 on a Saturday uh, trying to go to Cornwall. So, all in all, uh, I was a little bit uh, kind of tired and discombobulated. I've always wanted to use that word in a sermon. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this uh, team who are going off to India. Thank you for those who are going to Moldova and those who've been to Uganda and for the stories of transformation and renewal that they have shared and experienced. Thank you that we are part of this one body that is bound together by your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. I guess you could call uh, the story of Peter and uh, uh, this experience of foot washing as the latest installment and probably quite an uncomfortable installment in this adventure into love that he was having. And I know that uh, all of us who went to Uganda, and I'm sure it's going to be your experience as well, when we look back over our time, one of the things that uh, we said was we were struck by the love of the people and by the joy of the people and the way they welcomed us and opened their hearts and minds and homes to us and how transformational we found that. And experiencing love from people, particularly those who are poorer, those who seem to have so little, is particularly humbling and difficult for us. And lots of times, people who go to Uganda and visit poor communities feel that they oughtn't to be uh, sharing or receiving, accepting this hospitality because they feel we've got so much more. And it's somehow embarrassing when people have so little give you such an act of generosity. <clears throat> and so we come to this uh, story of Peter uh, and Jesus and the disciples and foot washing. I don't know if you noticed in the, at the beginning of it, it says it was just before the Passover feast. And that's significant uh, because it's just before Jesus goes to the cross to offer his life in redemption. And it's a reminder to us and to the Jewish people and those who read the Bible and understand it of the cost of redemption. Because the Passover looks back to a time of great rejoicing that God took his people out of Egypt and slavery into freedom in the Promised Land. And uh, I found myself this morning thinking and wondering what it must be like uh, if you were an Egyptian uh, person living in Israel when Passover is celebrated. Because actually for the people in Egypt, it was a very, very painful thing because the cost of that redemption was the death of their firstborn sons. And we can't get away from that. Redemption and freedom is sometimes very, very costly. 
And so when we think about the Passover, on the one hand there is this wonderful story of liberation, but there is also a story of human suffering and pain. And that's something that we all share in, in this kind of amazing world in which we live. And just as you guys are going to go into to India and you're going to be in a situation in ghettos and others where you're going to see both joy and suffering. And you're going to see that that process of redemption and rebuilding is often painful and costly. But on this occasion, Jesus, this was different, this Passover was different because Jesus knew that his hour had come. This was now the time when everything was going to change. And because his hour had come, John tells us that he began to show his disciples what his love really meant. The Greek kind of really means the full extent of his love. This is how much I love you. And it's prefiguring a sense of looking forward to the washing on the cross. This is how much I love you. And so he comes, and uh, if you can imagine the situation, one of the things that Johnny and I discovered when we were in Uganda is that when you don't have tarmac on roads, your feet get very, very dirty. And especially if you're wearing flip-flops or sandals. And so when you come to somebody's house, uh, you take your shoes off in Uganda, and if you've got flip-flops, you take them off, and you've got a white kind of mark on your feet. Most of it's red, but where your shoes were... It's white. And you kind of need to have them washed, otherwise you're going to put dirt all over the place. And in Israel, the custom was, in, uh, particularly in a nice household, that when you came in, uh, somebody would wash your feet for you. And I learned today, I hadn't realized this, because I always knew that uh, foot washing was uh, a slave's job. It wasn't something that a reputable person or the master of the house would do, it was a slave. But actually, it was regarded as so low and so demeaning that a Jewish slave wasn't allowed to do it. It had to be a Gentile slave. So effectively, it was the lowest of the possible low that got this job. So the disciples have come in. They're sitting around the beautiful table. They've got their cups of wine. Did you notice we didn't get any offered any of that wine? Or the grapes? I saw them having a crafty grape there. I, I didn't get any of that. But anyway. Oh, that's for later. Oh, well, this is, I know. Don't know about those grapes. But anyway, they're sitting around the table and, and they know their feet are dirty and they're all looking and wondering where the slave is who's going to come and clean it for them. Not one of them is going to lift up their, their, their finger to do it. And Jesus comes in and he arrives and we all know the story. He takes off his robe and he puts his uh, towel on and he starts to wash their feet. And Peter... When Jesus comes and kneels before him and says, I'm going to wash your feet, he knew that Jesus was doing the role of the lowest of the low. And he couldn't deal with it. He just couldn't deal with it. That can't happen. This is not right. And underneath you can hear him as uh, thinking, this is my teacher and the Lord, and we've already been told, notice that, that Jesus is the one under whom God has given all authority. But here is the king of the universe, the one who has all authority, kneeling before uh, Peter, taking the role of the lowest of the low. And Peter's saying, no way. This isn't right. It's not fitting for somebody like you to do this. And Jesus turns around and says to him, well, okay, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. 
Now that's pretty tough. Peter's now caught on this thing. He doesn't want Jesus to do it, but he doesn't want to not be part of Jesus. So he says, let's have a compromise, Lord. Let's have a compromise. Okay, wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus turned around and said, well, they're not dirty. What's the point? That's my paraphrase, by the way. It's your feet. It's the dirty parts that need to be washed. And I've got to do it if you want to be a part of me. And I found myself thinking about what is going on here? Why is it so important? And I think it's probably true in India, although I don't know it so well, but in Uganda where I am, where where I'm used to, and in lots of Africa, reputation and position is terribly important. I went, uh, Johnny and I were very privileged, uh, although he some of the people who went to it weren't quite so impressed by the end of it, to go to a a reception which the president of Uganda was at. And uh, we actually got to stand up and got introduced to him, and the president waved at us. And we waved back. And kind of, that's really important for people in Uganda. Position and role. Reputation. And uh, sometimes I get really frustrated when I'm out there because it seems to be so important. But actually, I think that reputation and and our good name is something that is common to a lot of us. It's something that we value. And and we want it to to be right. We want to be seen to keep up certain standards, don't we? You know? Whether it be that we don't ever swear or we have nice elocution or or whatever it might be or we wear certain clothes and we always wear a tie or whatever it might be, we want to have our reputation. And you see, I think what Jesus is saying at this point when he kneels down before there, he says, I've got all the reputation, but it does not count for anything. I don't care about reputation. In fact, if you care about reputation, if you care about what people think of you, if you care about all that stuff, and you find your value in that, then you have no place in me. Now, that's a really hard thing, isn't it? That's a really hard thing, because actually, if you're like me, I kind of like to have that. I kind of like it when people tell me I'm good at stuff. I kind of like it if people think. But kind of what I've learned is that it can be very easy that those things become our security. And particularly for us as Anglicans, uh, those of us who are Anglican, I know not all of you are, but let me tell you if you don't know much about Anglicans, uh, I'm I'm ecumenical officer in the diocese, and uh, so I got to know a lot of Methodist ministers. I mean, that's really kind of revolutionary, isn't it, really? (laughs) And, And, you know, one of the things that they say to me is that you Anglicans, it's always like you Anglicans, uh, I put my hand up, I'm one of those, um, have an effortless arrogance. And I think I've shared this before. And it's something to do with the fact that kind of we're established church and we've got the law on our side and we get to do all the baptisms and the weddings and we have a parish. So everybody here is in our parish. So when the Methodist minister comes along, we go to fraternal, we introduce him and say, here's my latest parishioner. (laughs) It's mine. And the Methodist minister is going, oh no, no, I'm not your parishioner. But we have this kind of sense of, 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 of where we are. And... Uh, we also wear all the robes and stuff. And it can be really nice to wear robes and to be up the front. And I think, Jesus, hey, come on, guys, that doesn't make any difference at all. Reputation doesn't matter. What you wear, what you do is nothing. It's all about your heart and where you stand. And, you know, it is a real challenge for us. 
because it, it affects so many areas of life. Uh, Uganda, the Christian church there, looks up to the Church of England. They look to us as their mother. We were the people who took that gospel out to which they feel that they owe their whole being. The Jamaican church feels the same. And in the 90s and 50s and 60s, when uh, people were brought from the Commonwealth to fill up the jobs that we didn't want to do, they came from churches, most of them, and they came as servers and altar boys and preachers and choir people. And almost the first thing they did was they knocked on the doors of the churches and they said, we've come home to our mother church. And the mother church took one look at the color of their skin and closed the door. You don't fit. You're not part of who we are. You don't look like us. And that's a part of that sense of pride in in the right way to do things and our reputation and what we are, and it's incredibly painful. A few years ago, uh, we had a a service in the cathedral uh, to mark the apparition, the end of slavery. My friends who are Pentecostal ministers in the black churches in in, uh, uh, Bristol, they got invited to be part of it, and then at the last moment, it was all taken away from them. And when they turned up to the service, there wasn't a seat for them. And they sat at the back of the cathedral watching all these white people in their robes processing around. These things are really, really important. And it seems to me that what Jesus is doing is saying, whatever you put your stand on, whatever reputation, whatever it is, out the window, we have no part in my kingdom. And you've got to accept that, that this is how I love you. This is the extent of my love that I will go to the very lowest place, walk in the lowest place, in order that you may be served and that you may have life. I heard a, a, an amazing story this week of, of what, how really unimportant reputation is. And I'm going to read a little bit to you. Uh, I'll give you a preface, this story uh, the guy who wrote it and shared it on Facebook, he said, this is, a, this is about our family, and I want it to be shared. We all agree we want it to be shared. Uh, some of you may have heard of a guy called Martin Cavender. Martin Cavender uh, is kind of one of those names in the church that I grew up with. Isn't that right? He's written lots of books. He's a, a public speaker and so on. His son, Sam, uh, worked alongside me in the diocesan office. An extraordinary man. Uh, who uh, helped so many people. And uh, my friend Sam, he wrote uh, uh, um, a blog, and I've just got to find it, so you have to just bear with me. I thought it was in the the place, but uh, things have have moved on. He wrote um, a bit about sharing something of his uh, father's life and uh, so on. Uh, It's under the title, uh, Forgiven. And um, uh, Martin uh, died a couple of years ago, and uh, after a thing of, of a short period with cancer. And uh, Sam and his uh, family were there, and uh, in, in his will, he left them uh, a laptop. And uh, they went through all the grieving process, and they uh, just ignored the laptop, and about six months after, they came together as a family. Oh, my webpage is not available, so I'm going to have to remember it. I was going to read out. It's going to be lovely, because Sam's words are much better than mine. But after six months, they booted up the laptop, and they started to read. 
And in this laptop, Martin, in the last few years of his life, had carefully and meticulously, with every detail, laid out the story of two affairs that he had had over decades with other women. And Sam and his family had to kind of read that, and his children. And Sam said, you know, he grew up, and when, when people heard that he was Martin Cavanaugh, oh, how amazing, you're his son. And he had his dad on a pedestal. And he looked up to him, and the whole family looked up to him, and he was this, not quite a god, but he was just this amazing man that everybody looked up to. And then suddenly all that was ripped away. And they as a family knew that it had not been as it appeared. All his reputation. And they had to work out what to do with it. And interestingly, he said, as we went through it, we found after the amazing pain of this family fiasco, a freedom and a truth. And he said, in the end, what we came to realize was that reputation counts for nothing. What sets us free is truth, to be truthful to who we are. Now, I guarantee, I don't know you all in, in and out, I know some of you better than others, but if you're like me, I do a pretty good act on the outside sometimes. But on the inside, and in the hidden parts of my life that you don't see and I try to keep hidden from God, there are some things that are not really very pleasant. And you can think of me as this amazing person, if you like, who can uh, make you laugh and entertain you with preachers. I don't mind. But that's not the truth, and it doesn't matter at all. God couldn't care a fig about that. Because God is concerned about us as we are. And he loves us as we are. And he loves us to the extent that because of what we are, he'd go to the cross for us. Oh, he's got it there. Let me just... Uh, thanks, Dave. We've got... Uh, I, just, I just want to read you some of the, the words that Sam's uh, parents, uh, Sam, wrote, because they were just amazing. It is fantastic. <clears throat> he said here, Many thousands looked up to Dad. He preached the word and dedicated himself to the freedom of all brilliant others. That's you and us, by the way. Everyone made in God's image. Everyone. Even to his dying breath. But his brilliance came from the word. It wasn't my dad's. The gospel belongs to itself. And if we value any human above ourselves, we are missing the gospel truth. We are all equals, a bunch of weird, brilliant sheep trying to keep our footing. There is only one alpha. Value, link, pride, reputation, management, mistrust, all are symptoms of the accuser. They are not symptoms of God's kingdom. And frankly, they are symptoms that can jog on. It gives me joy to this awkward message, not because I want revenge on my dear, brilliant dad, but because to truly honor someone, we must stand for what they stood for, even if that means hurting their and our reputation. We must stand with them in the truth. Truth is awesome. You can whisper it, and bad things dismantle itself. When our identities are so easily tied to a perfect parent or a dream of a perfect life or of our looks or a family name or our financial value, we dishonor everything else and we disappear down the path of death. The untying from that is a brutal but essential lesson. Why even write this? For freedom. 
perhaps the freedom of certain organizations, the freedom of ministries, the freedom only the Creator offers each of us. In a world crying out for the truth, we want to bring it, to live it. Putting an individual on a pedestal helps nobody. In fact, it dishonors us all. We're all made in the image of something truly fantastically exploding with love, a rainbow tornado for this stack of ash, the gutting truth built to shine coherent light into our darkest quantum depths. The gospel's like a hot curry. That's good news. It hurts, but we come back for more, don't we? Yes, we do. More, please. Hopefully it's clear in this article that I'm not bothered about my reputation or my family's, and they agree with me that it's a story to share, not to hide. We've learned so much about life, death, and freedom, and the fractured humanity that we all are from Dad. Such a great bloke, but a pedestal helps nobody. There is only one reputation that matters, only one true alpha. And you know, I just thought that was wonderful. And that's the heart, isn't it? That we're all messy, we're all chaotic, but we're all loved. And when Jesus comes into that, even when sometimes we still have parts of us that still need to be washed, God still loves us. We're kind of unfinished, but we're moving forward. Joe Porter, when I sh- we share that story, said, actually, that's kind of great, isn't it? That messy people like us can still be used. That's kind of encouraging. And you see, Jesus says to Peter, he says, as I have loved you, go and love others. Now, I find that kind of really challenging because I'm not the most loving person. I'm actually, yeah, it's, I, I struggle sometimes. But actually, we can do the acts of love and we can reach out to people because God loved us. And God forgives us everything. And yet it's such a shame when sometimes churches become places of judgment, where we look at what others say and do and we think they don't quite fit, they're not doing it in the way we expect, or they've let us down. Guys, the church is always going to let us down. I'm going to let you down. Anita will let you down, not as often as I will. (laughs) Joe will let you down. We'll all let you down. But God... He won't let you down. And that's why we find where we find our place, because God first loved us. So we can go to India and share our love with people. We can go to Uganda and share our love with people. And we'll find that when we get there, actually they'll show us much more love. Because we're called to be part of this glorious and wonderful community of love. And when we find our hope in Jesus, then all the other stuff doesn't matter. And I think that's really exciting. It's a glorious gospel, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? That all that stuff that the world says is so important just doesn't matter in God's kingdom. I don't care what you wear, guys. I don't care what you say. I don't care whether you sometimes say bad words. I don't care any of that stuff. God loves you. And God calls you to love each other. And I was just really struck this morning going through the communion service how it's all about God's love and about loving our neighbor and loving ourselves and being bound together in this community. And it's a really exciting thing to be called to be a part of. And I've gone five minutes over. So let's pray. Father, we bless you for this word. We bless you for this adventure 
that Peter went through into love. And Lord, it must have been so painful for him to have that, those things that were so important to the fabric of his life just ripped away and chucked. Things that he had assumed were just the right way to do things, that actually they weren't so important at all. That he needed to accept that Jesus could take the place of a servant and to find his hope and love and grace in him. And Father, if we have been guilty of seeking to guard our reputation, if we have been guilty of uh, trying to put our value on people or things that are on a pedestal that we look up to rather than to you, will you gently and lovingly break those bonds? And if we have things that are hidden, help us to bring them to a place of light and truth that we may be set free to love you and to love others. It was for freedom that Christ called us and set us free. Amen.